WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Biological topics are usually taught separately in high school based off of the course. However, with evolution, students need to be able to connect multiple biological topics in order to understand this very complex problem. To discuss more about this learning process, we're here to talk to Maria Berry about her research on this. Maria, may you please introduce yourself for us? Hi, my name is Maria Berry. I'm a third year undergraduate at Michigan State University. I'm majoring in microbiology, and I'm also part of the microbiology department's five-year combined bachelor's and master's program. While microbio is a main research interest, I also have a great interest in STEM education, specifically biology education. Me and some other people from MSU and some people from the Concord Consortium are working on a project involving the Connected Biology Curriculum, in which students are able to see evolution in action on multiple different levels using multiple broad topics of evolution, specifically looking at deer mice. Welcome to the show this morning, Maria. It's like you said, and like how Chelsea mentioned, evolution is this really complex topic they teach students in high school. But regarding these topics, can you elaborate a little bit more on what these broad topics are and how they're related to evolution? The Connected Bio Curriculum focuses on five big topics in biology. The first topic covered in Connected Bio is ecology. The second topic is cellular biology, which involves proteins, and hormones. The third topic is molecular biology, DNA, mutations, amino acids, etc. The fourth topic is genetic inheritance, and the fifth topic is population genetics. So specifically membrane, proteins, and hormone production. Molecular biology, so DNA, mutations, amino acids, etc. Genetic inheritance, and population genetics. And so through the simulations students use in the Connected Bio curriculum, they're able to explore all of these topics together, looking at mice on the macroscopic scale and looking at them on the microscopic scale as well. Definitely, I know that nowadays the curriculum is much more advanced than whenever I was in high school. But is this something that would be available to students at all levels, or would they need to have a background in these five topics that you just mentioned so that they can create a proper simulation? Since the curriculum and the simulation are all about learning, experiencing, and observing, students don't need much of a background. However, it would be useful for them to have some kind of knowledge of the vocabulary. We're currently implementing this software With this particular research we're doing with the Connected Bio curriculum, we're currently implementing it in AP Biology classrooms, and so a lot of these students are already familiar with these topics and have that background knowledge to go off of. But no, in theory, it's something everyone should be able to use, and teachers just have to sign up to use it in their classrooms if they're interested. To clarify, we're still doing research on this curriculum, we're still adding to it and determining how it can best be used in classrooms. But when it does become more widely used, it is theoretically something that not just AP students, but students in other levels of biology as well would be able to utilize in their own classrooms. 
I'm sure if we have any science teachers that are listening in in this interview, they're going to be really interested in engaging with this simulation whenever it comes to working with their AP students in the future. Really looking forward to seeing it come online and widely available for everyone. You had mentioned that this simulation is working with the evolution of deer mice, but why deer mice in particular? What makes them the best case to work with when it comes to teaching about evolution? In deer mice, it's pretty easy to see evolution occur on the macroscopic scale and on the microscopic scale. They're complex organisms, but still relatively simple, and so it's easy to indicate or pinpoint the specific hormones and proteins that causes their colors to change. Additionally, with deer mice, they have a pretty quick reproduction time, and also the evolution of them, which we can get into more later, is easily seen through their differing fur colors. That makes deer mice a pretty good way to picture evolution, a pretty simple organism to use as a physical example. Changes in colors of the fur are great indications of the genetics and a great way for students to be able to learn and interact with genetics in this specific simulation. Are there other factors that are being manipulated in the simulation? And can you give us some examples of how the simulation would be for students whenever they're interacting with it? So when students open the simulation, they'll see a screen with a bunch of mice running around. In the particular ecology or population genetics part of the simulation, students are able to do things such as change the environment their mice are in. So their mice can be in a grassy environment that's a little darker or a beach environment that's sandy and a little bit brighter. They can also add or take away predators to this environment. By doing this, students can essentially play around with what happens when mice are able to or unable to camouflage with an environment and predators are looking for them. And so they can see how these changes in the environment would affect fur color on a more macroscopic scale. Students also have the ability to look at mice more deeply. They're able to click on a different part of the simulation and view the inside of a mouse cell. They're able to see the different proteins and hormones that are present in the cell and can even go deeper looking at the DNA of those particular proteins and seeing how mutations in that DNA would change the protein's shape and eventually function. By experimenting with all these things together, either by adding predators to their environment or changing the DNA of the mice in their environment, students are able to literally see in real time how these changes on the microscopic and macroscopic scale can affect which mice are going to survive and which mice aren't. It's really interesting, actually, that you're able to simulate these different levels of complexity when it comes to the deer mice's evolution. Regarding the graphics that are being displayed throughout this simulated program, what do students actually see? Are they seeing like the predator and deer mice interacting with each other? Do we actually see some of the literal proteins folding in different ways to amplify certain genetic traits? I'm just curious about what do the students visually see? That broader ecology population genetic screen, they're literally seeing a bunch of brown and white deer mice running around their screen. When they click the predator button, a hawk literally flies in on their screen and picks up certain mice, depending on those mice's fur colors and whatnot. 
And so that would be the more macroscopic scale, what they're actually seeing, a bit like a computer game. And so when they're looking at the microscopic scale, yes, they're literally seeing the sequence of codons in the mouse's DNA. They're able to see the mutation and the specific letter of the mutation that causes the protein shape change. They're also able to see where different proteins and their receptors would be located in the cell. They're able to see how those proteins might attach or might be unable to attach. And so it's a very complex, in-depth view of what's going on at both of those broad scales. Wow, this is really advanced. I wish I had a program like this so that I was able to understand biology at a deeper level whenever I was in high school. For example, I don't remember having some kind of program that was showing me the proteins and the receptors in the cell, let alone the attachment of them. Something that stood out to me was how they were able to change the environment for the mice, like if they were in a grassy area or in a beach, because I remember that with Darwin, whenever he was studying the finches, how the different Galapagos islands had different environments for the finches, and he was able to see the changes in the evolution within them. Whenever they're going through these simulations, are there examples, like I said, with Darwin and the finches, so that the students can understand this in other experiments and other types of animal models? Generally, the connected biosoftware only deals with deer mice, but yes, in the sense that students are able to apply these concepts to things they had already learned. So, for example, as part of our research, we listen to the audio files of students' spoken responses to questions after each individual unit of the curriculum. And I remember one student saying they were very excited because they had remembered a specific name of a protein from summer reading they had done for a totally different class. So yes, students are definitely able to apply this not only to different parts of their biology class, but to different classes in general. I also agree, I didn't have anything like this when I was in high school either. Traditionally, these topics are taught as separate things, right? You're tested on ecology, and then you never really talk about it again, then you're tested on molecular biology, and so on. But the special thing about this curriculum is the goal of it is to connect all of those broad biological topics together that normally would be taught as very separate processes. There's a lot of potential with this, and like you're saying, there are so many different topics nestled within this one program. There are different core curriculum and topics that students need to accomplish and cover by the end of the year in order to have a successful year. Do they have supplemental reading with this as well? So as mentioned before, this sim and this curriculum is divided into five broad units. These units are cumulative, and so they are always using the information they'd already learned and building on it. So at the end of every unit, students have to answer a relatively broad comprehension question about what they just learned and what they've learned before. So one example of this would be discuss with your group and explain how predators, the environment, and mouse cells influence mouse colors in a mouse population. And so in our particular study, students in groups of a few people would answer this question recording themselves. We would later transcribe these recordings and code them. So we would then code these transcriptions. So for coding, we would look for different mentions of individual units in what students had said, and we would also look for instances in which students connected two units' content together, and we would mark that down. 
So for example, if a student said something like there was a mutation in the mouse's DNA, which changed the shape of the receptor protein in the mouse, that would be an example of unit three, which was all about DNA, mutations, amino acids, and molecular biology generally. And so in coding, we would mark that down with a specific color. Additionally, as mentioned before, students could connect two units together, and this was the main thing we were looking at in our study. So one example of this would be a student saying, if there was a mutation in the mouse's DNA, that would cause a change in the shape of a mouse's receptor protein, which would end up changing the color of the mouse because the protein would not be able to fit. Regardless of if that answer was correct or not, that student is mentioning concepts from both Unit 3, Molecular Biology, and Unit 2, Cellular Biology, and connecting them together using one to explain or justify the other. And so we would mark that as a Unit 2, Unit 3 connection. Something that I didn't realize until I got to graduate school for my PhD was the importance of making connections between different topics, especially in biology. Is the goal of the simulation for these students to be able to connect these different topics together, or is it for them to be able to understand those five big topics no matter if the connections are made or not? I would say both because you can't make those types of deep, correct connections without having deep understandings of the individual topics themselves. While your team has been in the process of testing this software, have there been any patterns that have arisen from the responses that have been given by these students regarding these really broad prompts? And how has that helped inform the final development of this program? We definitely have noticed some patterns, and as you said, we're still in preliminary data analysis and still transcribing audio files as well, so nothing is proven to be statistically significant yet. Some things I've been noticing is that, as I said earlier, this curriculum is cumulative, and so when students have gotten to Unit 5, they've already covered four entire units of content. So when students were answering the broad prompt at the end of Unit 5, they tended to mention the Unit 1 and 2 content a lot less than more recent units, which is self-explanatory. Those more recent units are fresher in students' minds. Additionally, another interesting pattern that I've been noticing is that when students have more information to work with, so when they have gone through four or five of the units of the curriculum, they're more likely to make connections across the microscopic scale and across the macroscopic scale, instead of making a macroscopic to microscopic connection. So for example, as mentioned before, two of our units are cellular biology and molecular biology, both microscopic scale topics. And so when it comes to students who have learned the entire curriculum, they're more likely to make connections between those two concepts than between cellular biology and population genetics, for example. It may be easier for them to do this. Again, we're not totally sure. And then a final thing I've noticed, which personally is my favorite trend I've been seeing, is students tend to use personification to explain concepts or justify what's happening. 
And so one of the really common responses I've seen in coding is students will say the mouse decided to change its fur color to be lighter because it wanted to blend in with the environment because it didn't want to get eaten by a hawk. And of course, we know that mice can't make that decision. That's not something they really want to do. But in this case, students are using that kind of personification and giving mice their own needs and wants because it helps them to better understand what's going on, which I personally think is really fascinating. Yeah, it makes sense to me that they're trying to think of what these mice would want to do for survival. When you were saying that the students were able to recall the more recent units, it made me think that they need to have more reinforcement maybe along the different units. So are there things that help them remember unit one, for example, so that by the time they get to unit five, they're still able to recall all the information from unit one? Yes. So when students are going through each individual unit of this curriculum, they're still using the same software and seeing the same things. So even when students are learning about molecular biology and cellular biology, they're still able to interact with the software on the more population scale. So that helps them keep that past information a little more fresh in their mind. There still is a bit of a decline, for example, in references to Unit 1 as you move through the five units. However, even when students were answering that final Unit 5 prompt, they still were mentioning things they learned at the very beginning of the curriculum. So yes, there still is a bit of forgetting in there, but using that same software every time and having that consistency helps them keep it a little more fresh. I think it's really clear that having scientific input when it comes to these educational programs is going to really elevate the level and the quality of information that's being given to these students whenever they're going through their education. You had mentioned that you're also working in a microbiology lab, but I'm curious regarding your future, what are you interested in pursuing more? Are you trying to develop a science education background to eventually become a teacher, or do you want to use this to help inform your future research projects? So specifically, I would like to be a microbiology professor in the future. Microbiology and STEM education, I think, are pretty intertwined, but to some, they may seem like pretty different research interests. And so while studying and culturing microbes might be my main research focus, as a professor, I want to create an educational experience for my students that is as high of quality as possible. And so to be a little more specific in terms of how this would relate to my future, I am hoping in the future to develop simulations like this one specifically related to microbial processes. So for example, right now we're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And recently, we've been hearing a lot of news about vaccines that have been approved for use and are starting to be distributed around the United States. And so something I would be interested in developing in the future is a simulation or game like this one that shows students how vaccines work and how they train your cells, essentially, to fight off a virus. Essentially, combining this type of simulation learning with my own microbiology classes that I hope to teach in the future is how this would directly apply to my future career. 
I think it's great that you recognize what you want to do and that you're still getting that laboratory experience so that you can implement it in the future simulation that you'd like to create. With this connected biology simulation that we've been discussing, this was particularly for high school students. However, your research is obviously in college. Whenever you want to teach microbiology in the future, would you be more interested in doing this in a high school setting or in a collegiate setting? I would be interested in both, frankly, but I would like to see simulations like this and curricula like this being implemented at the college level too, and even at the elementary level. I think something like this can provide such an immersive learning experience for students, allowing them to experience topics instead of just being told them. So I think this is something that can work on theoretically any level of education. Yeah, I agree with you, Maria. I feel like if I would have had some of these modules available to me growing up, it would have made learning science a lot more interesting for me and a lot of my other peers growing up. And it's true that this kind of information could be packaged in a way that could be disseminated across different age groups. Like I remember actually watching a video one time where an MIT scientist was explaining quantum computing to different age groups and they did an excellent job. And I feel like this is a very similar situation here where you're just describing evolution to different age groups and making it more accessible to people to understand. Thank you so much again for joining us this morning, Maria, to talk to us about this research that you're working on with your science education team. And good luck with the rest of your microbiology degree. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on The Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.